Hey folks, welcome to the Dark Horse Podcast live stream number 130 something. Four. Four, 134. It's 134. Well, all right. That's cool. Not a, not a tough check for primeness. This is Brett Weinstein. Yes, uh, I am Dr. Brett Weinstein and you are Dr. Heather Hying and this is the Dark Horse Podcast as I mentioned earlier and we um, got some uh, some things on the agenda. Yeah, we, uh, we're going to talk about uh, accident and injury. And uh, we're going to talk about isopropyl alcohol. Yep. And we're going to talk about the moon. The moon. And I should yeah. tell you uh, that I promised to reveal I have, it's not an absolute proof, but I have a strong indication that uh, there is a God and that he is fond of me. Um, so I'm going to be revealing that here on the... Uh, Where did you promise that? Uh, on Twitter. I see. On Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Promises Sorry. made on Twitter. Are, you know, no, no, I'm keeping this one. I'm mostly outside of the scope of that sort of thing. So, okay. So there is uh, there is that. And um, I also uh, promised to deliver a, um, a decisive blow to our most dedicated and I think obsessed critics. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I don't know anything about that either. No, you don't. Uh, so you'll have to remember to put it in here somewhere. Yes. Uh, let's do our logistics first, though. Good. Shall we? Um, you, after, we'll be doing a Q&A after this episode. Uh, you can go to darkhorsesubmissions.com to ask questions. We always encourage you to look up our book, which is a lot different from but totally consistent with uh, Dark Horse Podcast, A Hunter-Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century, available now in both Spanish and French, and soon to be out in Korean and Russian and Lithuanian and Polish and lots of other languages as well. Though if, there is still time to learn those languages if you prefer to read it in one of them, with the exception of Spanish and French, I believe. Those, it's already out. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, I, I feel like there's time to learn those languages no matter what. Oh, it's never too late to learn those languages, but if you want to have them on the ready so when it is released, still hot off the press, you are able to read it in Lithuanian, now would be the time to get on that. Yeah, now would be the time. Uh, we are streaming on both YouTube and Odyssey, and the chat is live on Odyssey. And of course, after after we are done, it will be uh, uploaded to Spotify as well and available all of the places that you may listen to podcasts. We have a new store, which we announced on our last live stream 10 days ago. If Zach, if you can show that. Uh, we are very, very excited to be working with some with Squidprint, uh, who has produced the store. I'm not seeing it yet. Okay. Uh, we have on there the stuff that we have had on the previous store, and I can't see it yet, so I'm not remembering what any of it is. Uh, we they will have never know you were stalling. Tour de France. Um, yeah, that's so small. That's just Dark Horse stuff. So you want to talk about some of the products we have? Yeah, we have uh, <laughs> okay. Tour de France. Uh, it's like bike racing on steroids. We've got uh, Pfizer. The breakthroughs never stop. Yeah. Pun entirely intentional, entirely making intentional. it satire and therefore protected speech. Yeah, similarly, uh, YouTube. YouTube community guidelines because you can't handle the truth. Yeah, and we've got things that aren't quite so politically dangerous, like again, Epic Tabby, some complex systems. Uh, we got uh, saddle up the direwolves. We ride tonight, so all sorts of good stuff here, including some backpacks and and bags and such, which were not available uh, in our previous store. So do. You go there. It's at darkhorsestore.org uh, to find some of that some of that new gear. We're pretty excited about it. Uh, you can visit my Natural Selections uh, Substack, uh, where this week I posted something that I found that I'd written over 10 years ago on 
um, the, the trivialization of our lives in an era in which we are told that we have all of these labor-saving devices which are supposed to free us, but in fact what they do is draw us in and grab our attention and don't let go. So we have actually in many ways less, less time to spend thinking deeply on things in the era when we have more devices which are supposed to be freeing us in order to attend to the deeper things. Um, and we are supported by our audience. Uh, we appreciate you subscribing and liking and sharing both our full episodes on uh, Odyssey or YouTube or Spotify or clips uh, on both YouTube and Odyssey. And um, just a reminder that last summer, about a year ago now, YouTube demonetized us for taking the crazy position uh, that as scientists, and really it shouldn't even matter that we're scientists, but that we were interested in talking about the evidence for the claims being made by public health officials around uh, all things COVID. And that was deemed uh, untenable by YouTube. So it was deemed misinformative. Misinformative. Um, and though we have been borne out many, many times, they have never reinvestigated this or uh, uh, explained why we are still demonetized. But in any case, yep. we uh, are grateful to our sponsors. Before we get to them, yep. I do want to say a uh, new episode of um, Dark Horse. Let's do this afterwards. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, so just do all the, all the money stuff at once. Um, we encourage you to join one of our Patreons as well. If, if you are so inclined, you can get access to our private monthly Q&As. Right now, we have the question asking period available on uh, my Q&A for the private Q&A at the end of the month, which is small enough that we interact with the chat in real time, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, for us, and you can also join our Discord community at either of our Patreons, uh, where, as uh, a few of the people in the Discord community have explained, you can engage in, quote, honest conversations about difficult topics, join a book club, unwind with virtual happy hours, and karaoke. Young or old, left or right, there's a spot for you around the campfire. And, of course, we have our sponsors, and so we'll talk about the uh, most recent episode of Dark Horse after we, after we do these. All right. Uh, all of the sponsors... Have products or services that we actually and truly vouch for, and uh, as those listening can tell by the chime that just happened, this anything between the two chimes is um, is sponsored content. And for those watching, when you've got that green perimeter around the screen, uh, that is true uh, as well. But we uh, we actually truly stand by each of our sponsors. We only accept as sponsors products uh, and companies that we. Um, that we truly are excited by. So our first sponsor this week is Seed. Our second is Ned and our final one is Allform. Seed is a company focused on bacteria and the microbiome and they have a terrific probiotic called DSO-1 Daily Synbiotic. There are a lot of things that you can do to enhance your health. Our sign off here at Dark Horse includes three of them. Be good to the ones you love, eat good food and get outside. But a lot is hidden in those words, of course. What constitutes, for instance, good food? Well, good food is real food, whole food, food that has been alive recently and was grown with care and conditions as ancient as possible, given the constraints of the 21st century. But even many people who eat such a diet are missing something. We contain multitudes. Every individual human contains so many other organisms, some of which may harm us, but many of which exist with us in harmony. We need them. This is why probiotics can be an important tool in a healthy lifestyle, even if you eat nutrient-dense food and avoid processed foods and sugar. That said, probiotics are in some ways the new current thing. Ever heard of probiotic tortilla chips? They were a thing for a minute, and no, they're not effective. Good news, though. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is the real deal. Not all probiotics are created equally. 
Seeds DS01 daily symbiotics of broad spectrum, two-in-one, probiotic, and prebiotic. It contains 24 distinct probiotic strains and a two-in-one capsule that protects the probiotics until they hit the colon, where they are most effective. If you've taken a probiotic before and never felt a difference, it's likely because the good bacteria weren't surviving your GI tract. Seeds is designed differently, and that's why it works. Seeds Daily Symbiotic supports gut, skin, and heart health and micronutrient synthesis. Many who have used seed report improvements to their digestive function in 24 to 48 hours. So start a new healthy habit today. Visit seed.com slash darkhorse and use code darkhorse to redeem 20% off your first month of Seed's DSO1 Daily Symbiotic. That's seed.com, S-E-E-D, seed.com slash darkhorse and use code darkhorse. Our second sponsor this week is NED, a CBD company that stands out in a highly saturated CBD market. Ned was started by two friends who discovered that their hyper-modern lives were leaving them feeling, quote, empty, bewildered, and disconnected. Something about this way of life, they say on their website, just wasn't working. So they started Ned. You can buy CBD products in nearly every coffee shop or grocery store in those states where it's legal, uh, such as the West Coast and much of the East Coast of the United States. But Ned's blends stand out. Their de-stress blend in particular really impresses us. Ned's de-stress blend is a one-to-one formula of CBD and CBG made from the world's purest full-spectrum hemp and also features a botanical infusion of ashwagandha, cardamom, and cinnamon. No, that's not a thing. Cardamom and cinnamon? (laughs) Cardamom and cinnamon. There you go. CBG is known as the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is at combating anxiety and stress by inhibiting the reuptake of GABA, which is the neurotransmitter responsible for stress regulation. Many of the CBD companies out there source their hemp from industrial farms in China, but just like with low-quality alcohol or low-quality anything, low-quality CBD can have undesired effects. NED is USDA-certified organic. All of NED's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Peonia, Colorado. And NED shares third-party lab reports and information about who farms their products and their extraction process on their site. So these products are nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. They're chock-full of premium CBD, CBD, and a full spectrum of active cannabinoids, terpenes, flavonoids, and trichomes. Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil nourishes the body's endocannabinoid system to offer functional support for stress, sleep, inflammation, and balance. If you'd like to give Ned a try, Dark dark Horse... Dark Horse? No, you didn't. (laughs) Didn't mean to. (laughs) If you'd like to give Ned a try, Dark Horse listeners get 15% off Ned products with code DARKHORSE. Visit helloned.com slash darkhorse to get access. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash dark horse to get 15% off. And we want to thank Ned for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. I would like the record to reflect that when dark horse emerges as a send up of dark horse, that we invented it, right? right? Okay, Mm -hmm. good. Just so long as that is clear. Absolutely. Our final sponsor this week is Allform, a company that makes terrific custom sofas. We like them so much, we have two of them. What makes the sofas terrific? For a fraction of the cost of a traditional sofa, you can customize layout, fabric, and color. They do armchairs and love seats, all the way up to an eight-seat sectional. And you can start small and buy more seats later on without needing to get a whole new sofa. 
This is the easiest way to customize a sofa, and the quality is fantastic. I vouch for it perfect, uh, personally. We started with one beautiful sectional all-form sofa in whiskey leather, which frankly I would have called caramel, but okay, whiskey leather. It is soft and supple and warm, unlike a lot of leather. We pile on it to watch movies some evenings. It looks gorgeous and is incredibly inviting and comfortable, a rare combination. We liked it so much, we got a second one. Also, some listeners have asked if Allform holds up to pets. It does. The leather that Allform uses is about 20% thicker than typical furniture leather and shows no wear, despite the fact that both cats and a dog lie on the couch many evenings. And if you prefer fabric, Allform fabrics are three and a half times more durable than the industry standard for heavy-duty fabrics. I should say. Yeah? I'm going to interrupt you Oh, here. please do. That Because we actually don't know what happens when we're not here. And we don't have cameras in the living room. Yeah. It's possible there's more than just the two cats and the dog that right. rides on the sofa. We don't know who they invite in. Yeah. Right. They, they have friends. They do, as do our children. We have no idea what this... And yet the sofa looks amazing. At a minimum, it stands up to us, two cats mm -hmm. and a dog. And two teenage boys. And two teen... Well, that's part of us, I sort of think. Oh, yes. Us. The, us, yeah. us the, sensu stricto the royal, and lato. The royal us. <laughs> um, finally, they offer a forever warranty. Literally forever. To find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash darkhorse. That's A-L-L-F-O-R-M dot com slash darkhorse. Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash darkhorse. Awesome. So thank you again to our sponsors. And you wanted to say something about, um, you know, we've been, we've been releasing uh, what we're calling guest episodes. Um, Brett hosted guest episodes of Dark Horse uh, weekly for a number of weeks now. And uh, we're going to try to keep up that schedule, um, you know, with a, with a few off weeks here and there um, for the foreseeable future. And this week's episode was Matthias Desmet. Professor right? Matthias Desmet. It's a very good episode. It is one of several recent episodes in which I have disagreed with the guest, not over the fundamentals necessarily of what was under discussion, but about significant issues. And what emerges from those discussions is, of course, uh, very interesting. So the even kinds if of you, conversations we should all be having. We should all be having, and they emerge very naturally in the, this context uh, amongst uh, various heterodox thinkers. So uh, anyway, lots of people have really enjoyed the Matthias Desmond conversation, lots mm -hmm. of positive feedback. So check and, it out. And just to repeat, so we had talked about uh, his book, which was also the reason I think um, – I think his book has just come out officially in English, in the translation in English, uh, which was uh, part of the reason for you to have a conversation now. But we talked about it when we got an advanced copy back a couple months ago, and it's called The Psychology of Totalitarianism. Uh, and it's, it's truly remarkable. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's really good. And I really enjoyed talking to him as well. I got the sense that he is uh, very much a fellow traveler mm -hmm. and has a, a similar approach to things and therefore has run into similar things inside the academy. So always interesting to see that that phenomenon is not local to the institutions you've been in. It happens every time somebody uh, behaves in a particular steadfast manner. Yeah. They, they run into the same thing. And time. in this case, not um, not local to the United States. Right. right. So no, it's academy-wide. Yeah, the European continent. All right. All right. So I would, because the existence or non-existence of God puts everything else we do in a uh, decidedly different context, I think we should start there. Okay. Are you willing? I am. I didn't know that we were talking about this. Well, I, know, I but said. see, that's the thing. When So I really have no excuse at this point because I didn't know we were talking about this when you first mentioned it. And now, I've had a few minutes to get used to yeah, the idea. Yeah, to wrap your mind around yeah. the, the idea. Well, yeah, wait till you try wrapping your mind around the conclusion here. 
But all right. So in order to, first of all, this, this, it's not a proof, but this evidence means nothing if I'm just making it up. So we have to establish that I am not just making this up. We have been doing a whole bunch of cleaning up our uh, house. We're doing some spring cleaning and it's a little late. Why? Because things were cluttered enough that we didn't get to it until now. We, we have been blocked. But nonetheless, well, all right, close enough to true. That part may be an embellishment. But here's the thing. Yesterday, I did take some things to Goodwill. Yes. Am I correct? Including several paper bags full to the top with uh, stacks of books. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, at the top of one, I did not... I guess I never think of books as clutter. Right. No, this... this well, anyway, neither here nor matter. there. doesn't matter. I did not dig into these bags. I figured you would know whether these things should go or not. But I did notice on the top of one of the bags... Remember anything interesting at the top of one of those bags? Well, I don't remember the order in which uh, the bags were put together, but I know the book that you pulled... Not the one that I pulled. I did oh. rescue one book, yes. the uh, the Klutz Book of Knots, <laughs> which comes with two different color uh, pieces of paracord. And so by having two different colors, you can very easily detect what the diagrams. So here's the, here's I, I don't know where you're going, but yeah. here's the reason that book ended up in the bag to donate. Yeah. So we were going through Toby's bookshelf and just like trying to get stuff a little, little cleaner in there. Uh, Toby, who is now a 16-year-old young man and... Um, and he pulled that up and said, I don't think we need this. And I said, you know, we've been, your dad and I, I said to him, have had that book for as long as I can remember. And I, you know, I, it's, it's an unusual book because it literally has these two pieces of, of cord that come off of it. And like, I still don't know how to make knots. I really wish I did. It's one of these obvious skills that isn't that elaborate. It's not like learning another language, right? right? Like, why, why don't I? And so my feeling is, given how much I like books, yeah. if this book has been this unsuccessful in teaching me my knots, this book must be a failure, which is why it went into the donate bag. Oh, believe me, if I needed to make the argument for getting rid of that book, it would have been precisely the one you just delivered. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm not prepared to give up yet. And, it, you know, there's a question about the cost of that book. You know, maybe this is the year we learn to, to tie those knots. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so there was another book at, a top, at the top of one of those bags. Okay. You, know, you don't remember something that you thought, well... Gee, I I mean, there, were, there were a lot of books. So All right. I've thought a lot about a lot of books. Okay. Well, this one, because I'm in Portland, uh, I slid it under another book so that when I donated it, no, there, a riot wouldn't break out and we wouldn't be chased out of town as oh, uh, I didn't donate morally defective people. Candy, did I? I think no, I held on to that one. No. You donated Howard Zinn. No, I didn't ha donate Howard Zinn. I donated the child's version of Howard Zinn. Okay. We kept Howard Zinn. It's but a version. We had somehow the child's version of Howard Zinn. Oh, God. You can't say that we. No, we got rid of our entire stash of Howard Zinn. Oh, I didn't. I yeah. can go grab it. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> well, this complicates. This actually is now an argument that there is yeah. no God. And we, or, have, and we have had the Zinn on our shelf since we were, you know, about as long as we've had that not book since yeah. we were undergrads. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, a People's History of the United States is, right. is the name of the, is of the, the actual is the name book. Of the and book. And actually, one of our children got handed in one of their classes in middle school or high school, like, the children's version of Howard Zinn. Like, what is this? Who needs this? So I should just say, as long as we're on this Howard Zinn, uh, and by the way, the evidence for, it's not that this is evidence that God doesn't exist. It's a evidence that he either doesn't exist or that he doesn't like me. All right, because he's now put me in a very oh, I think that much spot. we already know. Well, I don't know which of those two it is. It could be okay. a cold universe that doesn't give a crap, or it could be a God who doesn't like a me either way. Personalized. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, 
there are various reasons that the Evergreen State College is um, notable in history. It shows up in history various places. It has given rise to some interesting people. Paul Stamets, the mushroom guy. It has given rise Matt to uh, Matt Groening of Simpsons and Futurama fame. It has given it... Uh, Linda Berry, I think. Linda Berry. Um, oh, God. What? This is awkward. Um, Nirvana. Uh, Kurt Cobain mm. played there. He did not go to school there, but there is video of him playing. Kurt Cobain played here. Yes, he did. Well, yeah. of course, he was a you know yeah. a Washington guy, and um, so that um, the the comic from Seinfeld who uh, said some really racist stuff on stage and was never heard from again. Michael, Kramer? somebody or other, yeah, Kramer. Uh, he was an Evergreen grad. Anyway, there are various places that Evergreen shows the up in guy history. Who played Kramer. And uh, you know, our episode, uh, our famous exit from the college, is one of those. Historical... I thought you were suggesting that we were on Seinfeld there for a moment. I don't recall that. No, it's possible, but I just don't recall that. Um, but in any case, um, one of the places that Evergreen shows up in history, and this is a little bit sad, is that it was going to be Howard Zinn's next stop when he died. In fact, there were banners up announcing... When we were there? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Howard Zinn was slated to speak there. Actually, Hmm. like two days before Evergreen melted down, Naomi Klein spoke there, and I went uh, with Forrest Landry to uh, her presentation. That's right. Um, But anyway, so... Um, here's the reason that this is now evidence that either God does not exist or does not like me is because I thought that you had gotten rid of the people's history. Done. Done. Yeah. Right. Nope. And then, right. I, you know, I didn't think terribly much about that fact, but it obviously struck me. And then this morning you come home with this item for one of our children. (laughs) Okay. This is the morning of a podcast. It's two scones. A live stream. So you've stolen the treats for the children for well, a higher I, purpose. I've borrowed them. Yeah, the scones. So here's the thing. I, know, okay. I, 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 it is the I admit of, that I do not yet see you don't the connection see it yet. scones You don't see it, but you're about to see yeah. it. Okay? okay, and you can imagine that if I had been correct about what you were uh, dispensing with, right? Mm-hmm. He who is without Zinn cast the first scone. Here we are on a podcast. <laughs> you see? Right. So yep, yep, had had you gotten yep. rid of our library of Howard Zinn, mm-hmm. that would have been evidence that God was setting me up for this and liked me. It would not have been evidence that he liked you, maybe the opposite. And the same goes for our audience. But in my case, that would have been like, you know, the perfect volleyball set. But now discovering that, in fact, we still have Zinn, I've now embarrassed myself by making that pun. And Oh, no, no. I, th- I think you recovered brilliantly. Uh, given the uh, given the actual truth of the situation, but I, I, All right. I think well, we're right there. Thank you. I'm I'm becoming a professional despite uh, my better instincts. Hey Zach, mom got you a scone. If you would, uh... <laughs> yeah, good. Mom. No, you here. I'll put it it's, on the edge of the desk. Zach's got a fig scone. A fig Toby's scone. got like a white chocolate and orange scone or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sounds good, right? Yeah. Oh, hey, Fairfax. Like, yeah. Where's my that scone? That is a triple pun, though, right? Uh, Zin, cast podcast. Scone. Cal, I didn't. I didn't get the you cast see? podcast one. See, that's no, why. If it had just no. been two, then that's that's that's. It's not evidence of God. Right? It's I not see. that level. But three that line up together. Not only the three items, but in Fairfax time. Is eat the scones. Oh, yeah. Now. Hey Zach, why don't you come get your scone? 
Yeah, you're now you're you're um, externalizing the uh, the scone costs. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Enjoy. Give them to Toby. <laughs> yeah. All it's, right. Uh, Things it's have now yep. yeah gotten out of control. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, All right. Um, I think we've concluded that either there is no God, or if there is one, he doesn't like you very much. That's that's the evidence at mm-hmm. the moment. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Uh, Where are we headed next? <laughs> well, so you there was another thing that you were gonna oh there's several. add. So if we wanted. The, the three things I thought we were going to talk about were um, accident and injury, isopropyl, and uh, the moon, and moon landing, and 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 mooniness in general. Mm-hmm. But there was another thing that you mentioned also. Oh, the critic thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you want to do yeah. That now, or you want to say that? that is in line. That is part of one of the other little segments we had planned, so it will come up naturally. You had suggested the first thing was accident and injury. Yeah. Okay. So I presume we are talking about the accident that befell me. This week, yes, yes. All right. So let me. Yes, just... which, was, which was not, I should say, uh, God's attempt to declutter His universe. We don't know that. If so, He's not very good at it. Well, He he put in a there's a there's a good effort there. there you was, it was a bad. It was not a good accident. Yeah. So let me describe this, and there is a reason I'm going to describe it. Um, it, it will uh, give you some insight into how somebody with uh, my particular interest in skill set views things like uh, injury that befall me. Um, but I think also it's it's scientifically interesting. So I've been an avid cyclist since I was a teenager. I picked it up in, I had liked kind of BMX bikes as a kid, but I picked up actual road cycling from a biology teacher, um, Dr. Pete, who had a class in our high school in which he basically taught us uh, how to ride distance and be good at it and manage your bike and all this that. This is going to have been at the high school that you were invited to leave. That I was the invited. the high school that you and I met at. Right. No, it mm-hmm. was the one I was invited to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, in any case, so I've been a cyclist for a very long time. And I probably take a fall off my bike every two to three years on average. But it's been at least six since I've fallen off my bike. Um, it's before we left Evergreen. I think mm-hmm. the last fall I took was uh, above Eureka. We were, we were at uh, our friend Antonia and Gary's house, mm-hmm. and I was riding around in the hills above their house. I believe I was riding your bike, and I fell off it. Yep. Um, but anyway, uh, I was riding this week. And it's not for, I mean, you've not quite as much this winter, but you've done a lot of actually winter riding here in Portland, like urban, winter, slippery, wet, yep. cool uh riding and um have had no no and mishaps until now no mishaps and i've been sort of tracking it. it's like oh it's been a long time maybe i'm over that thing but maybe it's gonna get me at some point and so i've just kind of been watching it and i was riding and i wasn't far i was in fact a block and a half from our house on a piece of road it's a terribly terribly paved piece of road it's chip coat which is basically crushed rock that they lay down, they smooth it, and then they spray a tar sealant into it to lock it all together. So it's jagged and rough. Um, and it's also... Yeah, can I just... I don't even... I don't read this road. I, I, I can see that it was once chip-coated, but it was so long ago that it really reads as a gravel road. With a, with there's, there's like places where there's patch of chip-coat still showing through, but it's mostly gravel. 
It's not. You should go back and check it. I agree that mentally it sort of strikes one that way because it's so broken up. And the reason that it has not been redone is that the taxes are not high enough here in Portland. Um, So our taxes are really as high as anywhere you could live in the States, but they're not high enough for them to do things like repave roads as necessary because they're being used to, I don't know, virtue signal from antennas. I think they're arresting people engaging in criminal activity. No, they're not doing that. No. No. yeah, I don't know. I don't know what. Building up public works, dealing with invasive species. No, they're not uh, doing any of those public things. Public art, maybe? I don't know. I think it must all be going into virtue signaling. Okay. But um, There is pers- certainly a lot of that. Yes. Okay. Well, what there isn't is a lot of high-quality pavement. There are gigantic potholes and things. But anyway, <laughs> this piece of road in question is chip coat. It's got giant potholes in it and large sections that have eroded away and are now gravel. So it's a dangerous piece of road to ride. But... It's also the piece of road that I know best because it's the way out of where we live. So I ride it several times a week, sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. 10 times a week. Um, so I know where every pothole is. Here's the thing. I was riding along. Usually in one of these falls, you know what happened, right? Something happened in traffic and you steer to avoid it and you hit something you didn't mean to hit or uh, you slide on a uh, railroad track or something like that you know what happened in this case i didn't know what happened right the my first awareness of the accident was as i was hitting the ground sliding and then oh my god it finally happened i hit my head right i've never hit my head falling off my bicycle before and i think that's because usually your mind goes into what feels like slow motion it's really the opposite and we can come back and talk about why that is but the frame rate increases which gives the sense of it being slow motion right your mind because there is potential value in some small thing you would do you know putting out your hand and breaking your wrist rather than your head or whatever goes into high gear which feels slow because you've got more frames uh, per second and so it feels like a longer period of time and it probably also moves from um short term to longer term memory more more quickly and more accurately so you, you not only do you have more information per actual unit time but you're more likely to actually have the recall for it later and i i, I wrote about this in that um, memories of a mugging piece that i wrote about the mugging yep. experience in quito yeah well i think uh, when you say quito you're talking about the capital of ecuador not a uh, diet plan yeah, the mugging I experienced in Quito <laughs> where uh, someone grabbed a scone out of my hand yeah, because you, they said that's not on the could, diet. You could have been <laughs> mugged in ketosis. I mean, you know, that happens to people, I'm sure. But yeah. nonetheless, yeah. Um, so typically you have a lot of information and then you do get to dwell on the details, hopefully, so that you build them, you know, you build the wisdom of whatever happened to you this time so it doesn't happen to you again, mm-hmm. right? In this case, I don't have anything until I hit the ground and was sliding and then felt my head hit the ground. And I, you know, I literally, before I was done sliding, had the thought that I am no longer in the situation where I can say a helmet has actually never done me any good. Doesn't mean it's not worth wearing, but it never helped me because I'd never hit my head. In this case, I did. Um, and you, I mean, you had a you had a full face helmet on. No, I did not. No, you did not. But you had you, you had a. You I had, had a I had a good quality you had a high quality helmet, helmet but yeah. it was not a full face. Nope. Okay. Uh, and I hit the side of my head. But anyway, here's the crazy thing. Okay, I went down. No idea why I've fallen. There's nobody there. This had nothing to do with somebody surprising me or anything like that. I just fell in a place that I know quite well. But as I fell, my handlebar twisted more than 90 degrees to the left. 
and I fell on my left. Now that's weird because as your wheel turns to the left, it would tend to throw you to your right. So that raises questions about what happened here that would cause me to be literally tangled in my bicycle wheel all the way to the left, lying on my left side, and I'm, I hit the left side of my helmet, I'm scraped, I uh, tore a bunch of skin off my shoulder, my rib cage, my butt, my ankle, my knee, all the way down the left side. And you actually almost certainly um, have uh, at least some hairline fracture or fractures in your pelvis. Yeah, I certainly, uh, I uh, cracked, probably cracked my sacrum. We didn't get the x-ray because it wouldn't have changed anything about the... We spent a long time with our awesome osteopath uh, the next day. Yep. And that's, that was his assessment. Yep. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dr. Milner, if you're watching. Um, but in any case, okay, so I was down on my left side with the wheel twisted to the left. What happened? Well, two hypotheses. One of them, Toby generates, which I agree is a possibility. Toby, our 16-year-old. Toby, our, our 16-year-old son, who is also an avid cyclist. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say that there was a large rock in the road. And I didn't realize it was there, and I hit it. Sometimes you hit a rock, and it will shoot out from mm-hmm. under your tire, right? And that would possibly throw me off onto the left, and then as I was falling to the left, steering to the left um, might have been the attempt to regain control. But I have no memory of this, and that's weird, because A, it's a phenomenon I'm very familiar with, B, it makes a noise, right? That sound of the thing resonates through your tire, and you hear like an echoey, hollow sound when that happens, and I have no memory of such a sound. I went back. I don't see the object. Could be lost. Could have shot off far enough. Um, Two things here. I know you haven't gotten to your second hypothesis yet, Um, but one is that you and Toby had actually just gotten back from you picking up Toby at, at camp the camp that you and your brother Eric went to as children yourself, yep. yourselves in far northern California. And you had taken some time um, coming back. You'd stopped again at our friends uh, Antonia and Gary's house outside of Eureka and then come up the coast and, and spent and gone to the sea lion caves. Uh, and you had taken with you um, electric unicycles. Yep. And the two of you had been exploring a lot, every place you went on electric unicycles, which uh, you already had those skills um, tremendously. But you know, you also you also were in a mode of thinking about being on a wheeled vehicle and how to you know how to look out for for dangers and, and such. Yep, I had been in that mode. So I should just say there was an, a little innovation here. We took our electric car, which changes the way a road trip works because you have to plug it in and spend some time, which can strand you uh, as you're waiting. But by bringing these electric unicycles, they're small enough that you can have two of them in the car. And when we would plug in, we would go uh, find a smoothie somewhere and it allowed us to explore. It was like tenders on a boat. Right, it was like little, you know, boats with an outdoor mo- outboard motor that can take you to a yeah, your electric four wheel, and you got your two electric one wheels, and yeah, which is funny because I used to joke that the uh, the electric unicycles were like the poor man's Tesla, and they kind of are. I mean, it's a one wheeled electric vehicle and has a lot of the same advantages. But yeah. I digress. Anyway, so we've got Toby's hypothesis that I hit a stone; it shot out from my front wheel, um, and uh, that I steered. To catch myself. I don't believe it's right because none of the cognitive stuff um, matches. And I also think, were that. What, to, what do you mean, none of the cognitive stuff matches? What does that mean? The, that, had I hit something uh, unexpected, that that would Im- immediately triggered my 
emergency rescue yourself bicycle mode, I would have memory you of it. You would have a memory of something odd happened. At least. Something odd happened. And As opposed to the first thing you know is your head is hitting I'm the ground. hitting the ground, yeah. right. Um, so I don't really think that, that that's what occurred, but I can't, I can't rule it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but here's the other thing about it. In that accident, right? This one this week. No, no. In that accident of the type that Toby describes, I believe I would have had the following experience. My wheel, let's say I hit something really sizable, was mm-hmm. really not paying attention, and it shot out and pulled my front wheel uh, off to the right. I would have then, the wheel would have then hit the pavement and maybe bounced, making things worse. Mm-hmm. But I would have had at least a couple of attempts to rescue myself before I finally lost control and fell. Well, ex- except that, and I, I again, I don't know what your next hypothesis is, but um, when when it first happened, I thought you were biking alone. Um, but when we were talking about it shortly thereafter and trying to figure out if you know if you needed to go to the ER right away or if you like you were stable, um, and you were kind of stunned, like what what happened? You know, you're yep. so experienced and you're so skilled, and um, and this is just very very unusual. We've had one of the wettest springs and early summers on record. And summer has finally come to the Pacific Northwest. And in fact, we'd had a couple of searingly hot days. And my experience of both the actual bit of gravel road and then the road that you're calling really old ship cope, but that really reads as gravel to, to me and to yeah. I think other people, um, my experience on these roads on foot uh, has been usually usually either when it's wet out, they're just kind of glued in place with mud, or when it's dry out, it's had some time to settle in and they, the, the gravel or the chip coat, whatever sort of locks in place. And it feels now like there's a lot of loose rock on the surface just kind of floating, like the, you know, the very wet followed by the searingly dry, but not for very long, has, not, has left things in a much more uh, unstable situation than it normally would be in. Yep. I did go back and look at the spot. Mm-hmm. I don't find it abnormal. Okay. So I, I did look into to that hypothesis. Could be. But again, the weirdest thing to me is that something severe enough to knock me off the bike did not register until it had already happened. There's just something so odd about that. Yep. And so here's the other hypothesis. And I must say, I find it truly disturbing. Okay. And I, I have not heard this one. Yeah. You have not heard it. You refuse to share it with me. Well, I just thought it would be better to have a live conversation about it. Okay. So I've been learning, as you well know, uh, to ride a motorcycle. Yep. Okay. Here's the thing. This has worried me from the beginning. Motorcycle, your mind, because a motorcycle is just a motorized bicycle at some level, it rides very differently at one level because it's so heavy. Um, and you know, the suspension is sort of very mushy. I don't ride a bike with suspension, but even if you do, it's a lot crisper than the, you know, because that weight is on the shocks of a motorcycle. It's a very different feel, but your mind, if you're a cyclist, your mind calls your bicycling skills up to learn to ride the motorcycle and then it modifies them. Mm -hmm. But here's the problem on a bicycle, at least in the U S your right hand operates your right brake lever, which operates your rear brake. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then your left one operates the front brake. Okay, That's standard setup. On a motorcycle, your right hand indeed operates a brake, but it's your front brake. Okay? Oh. Now, on a bicycle, the distinction between your two hands makes all the difference in the world because 
there's a huge asymmetry in what your two brakes do, right? In a car, you hit one pedal and the car balances. The difference between your front and your back brakes is not something you're aware of, um, except maybe theoretically. But as you brake you're on a, on a bicycle, you slow down rapidly. That puts all your weight onto the front wheel, right? So that creates a problem. If you grab only your rear brake on a bike, then the rear wheel tends to slide and you don't stop very quickly because all of the weight just went on the front wheel. So most of your braking force, that if you have to stop quickly, it's your front brake that does it. But if you only hit the right brake on a bicycle and therefore only are braking the rear wheel, uh, your front wheel is still free to spin and so you're not likely to stop short and you're not likely to fly over your handlebars. Right. You will not fly... so. It's not that one of your brakes is better and the other is worse. The question is, what are you doing? If you're in extremely slidey conditions on a bike, then you do want to use your rear brake, even though it's terrible at stopping you because it leaves you in control because your front wheel stays on the ground and doesn't lock up. If your front wheel locks up on a bike, you tend to fall. It's not 100%. Some people say if your front wheel slides, you'll fall. It's not 100%, but it's very high chance. If your front wheel slips, you you tend to fall. Mm -hmm. So... This is all built in unconsciously in the cyclist. The difference between your right and your left hand, right? Right rear, I tend to be very aggressive. And then left front, I tend to be very careful because what I don't want to do is either cause a slide or go over the handlebars. But it's where most of my braking force is. So I'm very good at playing these things off against each other. So what if so on a motorcycle, which I have I have yet to ride, your right hand controls your front brake, you said. What does your left hand control? The clutch. Oh. Now here's the problem with that. So the your other brake, your rear brake, so there's is no your clutch foot. on a bicycle, but you got like thumb thumbs are dealing with you got uh, shifters. Your in my case, your transmission. Yeah. Or, or in my case, shifter. I've got a twist shifter okay. on my right hand. But here's the disturbing hypothesis. So by the way, I've been thinking from the beginning, and in fact, I've now read that some people do this. If you ride both a bicycle and a motorcycle, you should swap which lever operates which brake, so that your right hand phenomenon is consistent between yeah. the two objects, but I haven't done it. Uh -huh. I, it's on my agenda, but I just haven't gotten to it. So here's the thing. The clutch... You should swap to match standard bicycle protocol? No, or? you should swap. You, you can't swap the motorcycle. Okay. So you swap your bike, which makes you then better at using your bike and your motorcycle without making a mistake, but it makes you worse anytime you borrow a bike. This is like um, people with... I never remember how you're supposed to pronounce it when it's keyboard. Is it Dvorak or Dvorak? Yeah. Yeah, uh, oh, no, I think it's Dvorak. Dvorak. When it's a keyboard. When it's, it's a two keyboard. Different, two different guys, the composer and the yeah. the keyboard guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I was once handed a student had her keyboard set up, her laptop set up with Dvorak. I was like, I can't do anything with this. I just don't know what to do. And she's like, oh, but it's so much more efficient. I'm like, that's great for you, but can you use mine? She's like, kind of. Like, right, you can't use all the other keyboards. Out right. There. Well, anyway. I have been told, I'm yeah. not checked this, but I've been told that if you sit down at a Dvorak keyboard mm -hmm. and you attempt to write something and it's clearer when you've sat down at the Dvorak keyboard, then that means you have to change fields. Fields. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. But okay. So here's the question. As you know, with a clutch and the clutch on a, a motorcycle isn't too different. You drive stick. Um, mm -hmm. the, the clutch on a motorcycle isn't, it's the same phenomenon as the clutch in a car where there is no penalty for pushing the thing down quickly. I mean, ideally you do want to push it down quickly yeah. and then you want to release it carefully and you have to do that with feel, right? right. So and every the, clutch is different. Every vehicle is different and every clutch in every vehicle is a little bit different. Right. 
and you know different in terms of which individual clutch was put in and the age of the thing and everything all sorts of things but here's the question Mm -hmm. i was riding along was i in bicycle mindset Mm. did i grab was i shifting you mean were you in motorcycle yeah yeah did i say bicycle Mm -hmm. motorcycle I'm wondering if my if my motorcycle knocked me off my bicycle. If what I did is I grabbed the clutch, which should have no negative impact. If I shifted my bike, which not, does not require a clutch, right. grabbed the clutch, which was my front brake. Now, you mm-hmm. would think ordinarily front brake would put you over the handlebars and we'd know that it happened because that's how I would have fallen. Except, Except you, on weren't that, on a, you weren't on a flat clear surface with perfect grip. Right. Perfect I was, on that, grip. I was yeah. on that surface like you were describing with all of the loose stuff. So if mm-hmm. I did that, grabbed the front brake, didn't go over the handlebars, but then it caused a front wheel slide where mm-hmm. I was falling over to the left and I tried to recover, mm-hmm. it would have produced exactly this effect. Now, okay, that's an indirect effect of the danger of uh, motorcycling if you're also a bicyclist. Yeah, the danger of motorcycling and the strange, the similarity of the two, right? Mm -hmm. Your electric unicycle isn't going to confuse you about bicycling because they're so different that they get recorded as different activities. Yeah. But your bicycle and your motorcycle have enough analogy that the differences between them could be quite devastating and in this case i'm wondering if that would explain well, specifically sorry but specifically with regard to the fact that your hands these most dexterous most you know primate identified things with which we have become prominent in the world are actively controlling the vehicle and they're doing so in similar but not identical ways similar and if you think about where that that ways. similarness is worst your yeah. left hand being your powerful brake on a bike and being a clutch on the motorcycle where there's no penalty for grabbing it Mm -hmm. it's like oh man i could see that getting me in trouble and i think the thing that it explains the reason that i find this Mm -hmm. sort of compelling is that yeah Mm -hmm. is that there would be nothing because the the only obstacle i hit was my own confusion it would leave me no memory of there having, you know, it's not like I hit a piece of two by four that was lying in the road. It's not like the pothole had grown larger and my it caught the front of my wheel. There was literally nothing except that maybe I was shifting. And because my mind now says to shift, you grab your left hand, mm-hmm. that that would have thrown me off the bike and it would be like, well, what, what happened? happened? Yeah. Why oh, did my wow. brake suddenly lock up? That's remarkable. That's, uh, that's yeah. That's, I I feel like, you know, I, I can't assess it at the empirical level beyond what you've said since I have yet to be on a motorcycle. Uh, but it sounds it sounds quite plausible. Yeah, too plausible. That's why I bring it up here is yep. that as soon as I realized that I was like, oh, it just it it explains too many of the things that are weird here. Um what I would love is a prediction from that hypothesis that would allow me to test it and at least, you know Without requiring you to fall on your head again? Precisely. (laughs) For one thing, the fall, you know, the the bike frame perfectly unscathed. But I did. And this is a bike that you um, you designed and made and uh, brazed and even welded parts. But it was bra. You no brazing. It's all. uh, Oh, no brazing. uh, No, it's brazing. No welding. Yeah. Uh, silver solder and brass. Yeah. So I mean, this is this this is a particularly cherished. Oh, I bike. would have been yeah uh, quite frustrated with myself if if I had damaged the frame. But I did, you know, I busted a brake lever. I, you know, you only fall on a helmet once. You have to. Although I'm pretty sure the helmet retained its ability to protect me. 
um, you, you don't you risk it. You buy a new helmet. So I did. So anyway, it's a pretty expensive fall in addition to the, you know, the doctor and, uh, and all that. But, um, but yeah, I don't want to have to fall again for many reasons in order to test it. But it seems to me that there might be, sometimes there's a way, even though the event has already happened, there'll be some other, like, you know, the pattern of damage to the bike or something would predict it. But I haven't, I haven't yet figured out what the other prediction would be. But as a hypothesis, testable or not, uh, unfortunately, it fits too well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Well, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. Yes. Except I, you know, I'm, I'm watching you every day remarkably get better and do a lot of things that um, uh, it just it wasn't clear the day of how ambulatory you were going to be for, you know, maybe m- months even. Yeah, I was pretty messed up, although I yeah. did get back on the horse to ride home, which, uh, you know. You did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah. So you can see that had the initial segment here demonstrated the very probable existence of a God who liked me, that this whole episode with falling off the bicycle would then be in a very different context. Mm -hmm. I mean, then it would be God likes me today. Maybe he didn't like me earlier in the week. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's something you said. It often is. Yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, exactly. (laughs) Yes. All right. But all right. Without a God, I think we can just we can chalk this up to physics. Okay. All right. Let's chalk it up to physics. Chalk it up to physics. <laughs> With yeah. so many other things, like every single other thing that ever has happened. Chalking it up to physics. Uh, of course. All right. What else would you chalk it up to, including chalk? Well, I mean, I feel like from there, we could either go to isopropyl, which is more like chemistry, or we could go to the moon, which is which is a lot of physics as well, um, as as you like, which whichever of those. Oh, let's would go like to the moon, and then we can come back to uh, the isopropyl. What's isopropyl? Isopropyl. Um. Okay, the moon. The moon. Um, we just we we're a couple days past a full moon, uh, which in summer, which it is of course in the northern hemisphere, is a particularly glorious glorious thing. And you can uh, on a clear summer night where it stays late, um, it stays light late, uh, and the full moon comes up uh, either a little bit before or a little bit after, depending on exactly where you are in the full moon. Uh, the the sunset you might be able to navigate at night without any external sources of light. So, you know, not in a city where there are all these external sources of light, but if you're in nature and, you know, not so much in the forest, but if you're in nature with an open sky, wandering around at night and navigating by, you know, with your own eyes having adapted to very low levels of light, uh, which are provided by the reflected light from the sun off of the moon is truly an extraordinary experience. Um, and that is all true. But the reason I specifically wanted to talk a little bit about the moon today is because today is the 53rd anniversary of the launch of Apollo 11. <laughs> Apollo 11, of course, being, um, well, let's go back a few years from that. So that was um, July 16th, 1969. And in uh, 1961, JFK had um, provided the mission objective in which he um, said, we want to perform a crude lunar landing, crude, C-R-E-W-E-D, a crude Crude. lunar landing and return to Earth. And um, the NASA site, has, uh, which I'll link to in the show notes, has has a lot of history there. And so I didn't actually find it. But as I remember it, of course, I was, we weren't, we were babies for the lunar, for the actual landing that happened in 1969. Both of us watched from our 
our places in different parts of LA, me from the lap of my father who had been injured, massively injured in this accident a few days before I was born. So we got to watch this from our various infant-like states. Um, But I believe that JFK had basically said um, before the uh, decade is out, like Mm -hmm. the goal was before the 60s were over. And, you know, they, of course, JFK was then assassinated not too long after that. But uh, the United States made it with only a few months to spare with with the Apollo 11 mission. And... um, and that was 66 years after the first powered flight, which is a, a comparison one should keep in mind from the moment that the Wright brothers, I believe it was Wilbur, got off the ground for 30 seconds. And that counted as the first powered flight to landing men on the moon and returning them safely to Earth in 66 years. It's a blink. Yeah. It's, it's such a short period of time in the 20th century saw this acceleration of progress that of course we continue to see now and we are you know we, we talk about this all the time the hyper novelty that both plagues us but is also uh, a testament to human ingenuity and uh, and ability right and actually not on Apollo 11 but on an earlier Apollo mission on Apollo 8 at the end of 1968 December 24th as it as it happens actually Zach do you have this shot the Earthrise photograph uh, if you could show this, uh, which will be familiar to everyone, and certainly everyone who was alive then, uh, we were uh, we were not we were we were fetuses then. Um, uh, but this photograph, which was again taken on December twenty fourth, nineteen sixty eight, um, on the Apollo eight mission, was humanity's first view of our planet from outside of our planet, and what an extraordinary philosophical moment that was soon followed seven eight months later by visions hearing that humans were actually on a different astronomical body two things yeah Yeah, i don't know if they belong right here but that image so first of all there is a phenomenon of um most or all of the astronauts who saw a, a view like this something called the overview effect which is, it is a philosophical transition. There's something about seeing uh, the entirety of humanity, you know, in one field of view um, that is hard for astronauts to describe that motivates them to try to get other people to understand what it is they have seen and experienced and what it implies. And I think it is, um, it is a, it is a profound it is a revelation of something true that although the rest of us can glean it and we can in fact see that image, um, it is hard to appreciate what it would be like if it was your own eyes rather than a picture. Yeah, no, and it's, um, you know, the closest that I've experienced, I think, or the, the thing that this most reminds me of is the experience that I had repeatedly as a kid, having grown up close enough to the ocean uh, in Los Angeles that it was about a mile or so walk. And once I was you know, seven or eight or nine, and my parents um, let me wander off um, alone because that's what good parents do. <laughs> um, I would go down to the beach and just and look out at the ocean. And my sense was simultaneously one of, wow, I'm so small. 
Right. I'm so small. And, uh, in a way there's a, there's a humility that is, um, that is generative that comes from that. And also look at how much that is not known and that is yet to be discovered and that we can, that, that there is yet to be explored and look how many opportunities await me and all of us. Yeah. And in that case, you know, the, the, the thing that I was looking at was the ocean, the vast ocean, which is so much smaller than the vastness of space and yet still so large compared to a single human life. Right. Uh, yeah, it is, it is stunning. And I mean, I, I do, it's the kind of thing I feel like I should check before I say it, but I'm so certain of it. I also get the same sense looking at the ocean. It, it is a, it is a calibration of significance as is looking into the night sky. If you're lucky enough to be able to look into the night sky and see stuff. Yeah. But I'm certain that the amount of ocean that one can see standing probably even if you're standing at the same you know certainly if you're standing on the cliffs looking down at the ocean but i think even if you're standing uh at the shore looking out at you know 180 degrees of ocean that is undoubtedly a space large enough uh you know you could put everybody on earth in that space you could probably put everybody who had ever lived in that space and gosh i don't know I feel quite certain of it. But anyway, maybe I'll be wrong and we'll find out. But it would be interesting to know, okay, if that's true, let's take all the people, you know, 8 billion people, right? Could you fit 8 billion people in that space? And if so, how much, you know, could they be COVID distant from each other? I mean, you know, <laughs> right? Like, I, I would love to know. But anyway, be, somebody drowning. somebody <laughs> will know how to do that calculation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would be, I'd be curious to know the answer. But the other thing I wanted to say, though, about before you do, yeah, um, interesting that uh, what you what you refer to as the overview effect has to do with um, seeing all of humanity in one place. And your reference here again was putting all the people in your field of view. And um, I think I think it has never been the thing that I thought about is like that's all of the people, right? It's oh. it's like that's all of the existence of. Of humanity and the earth and everything that that yes we are but that everything is and that um, the the human part of it I can I can totally see how you would have a sense of sort of urgency around wanting to communicate that to the other people if you were the actual astronaut seeing Earthrise which is not there anymore um, but no it's it's okay um, but it hasn't been it hasn't been I think the source of the the deep philosophical uh, explorations that my brain has gone to. No, oh, I wasn't until this moment, until you put the two of them in proximity to yeah. each other, right? That overview effect, uh, you know, at some level, maybe that's not what every astronaut sees, but there's something about it that is like, wow, they're all there. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, there's the Carl Sagan version of this, the pale blue dot, which mm -hmm. is, is even more profound because there the earth is barely recognizable you know it's so tiny yeah um but so you were going to yeah there was there was one other thing yeah. uh that that image calls to mind you put the image back up and i remember it um actually i think you mentioned oliver sacks somewhere recently i don't know if it was a Substack or somewhere but uh oliver sacks is somebody who's now gone but somebody who's been important to us uh through his his writing and I remember he was a, a neurologist who wrote um, who wrote basically patient accounts accounts of his patients that revealed 
deep and sometimes universal human truths. Right, truths. And so maybe maybe my favorite book of his is An Anthropologist on Mars, which went into some depth on five different um, cases, um, but they're all they're all terrific. Like, yeah, right. I haven't read a, a, a book of Oliver Sacks that I didn't find uh, compelling and surprising. Yeah, I can't remember if the vignette I'm about to describe is, I think it's Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, but it might be an anthropologist on Mars. But anyway, he's got a patient who has a retrograde amnesia. That is to mm. say, uh, the amnesia is spreading backwards in time. So the patient thinks he's younger and younger because he doesn't remember anything beyond a certain moment, and that moment is receding towards his birth. Mm -hmm. right? It's a very profound and disruptive uh, pathology. And Sachs doesn't quite, I don't want to say he doesn't believe it, but he isn't sure. Like You've got two explanations for such a thing. Either this person has some pathology that would explain that, or they're faking, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't know they're faking, but you need to ascertain that they are indeed not just representing this as true, but that it is actually their experience of the world. And, you know, so he describes several times like going in, talking to the guy, you know, having a, interviewing him and then going away for a certain amount of time and then coming back mm -hmm. and the guy has no memory of him and he re-interviews him asked him the same questions. The guy wants the same clarifications. It's very eerie, right? Mm. But at some point, he takes, I believe, that photograph mm -hmm. and he shows it to this guy um, who is at that point an old man who thinks he's like in his 20s. Right, and you can do things like show him a mirror. And this would have been in the 70s or 80s. So this, so his, this old man's life in his 20s would have preceded humans being able to see the earth from the outside. Right, substantially, and mm -hmm. preceded, in fact, even the discussion of doing that, mm -hmm. right? So anyway, he presents him this photograph, and he says, describe what you see, and the man says something like, that's a picture of the moon, and uh, Sachs says, no, it's not. That's a picture of the earth, and he says, it can't be, because... If it were, you'd have to get a camera up there. And Sachs says the equivalent of, well, we they didn't. did. And the shock that the man experiences is evident. And this convinces Sachs that, in fact, I hope I'm reporting this right, but that's my memory of the, yeah. the interaction that this can compels him that is in fact a real pathology because the man's confused you know that photo is so familiar to all of us that you know in order to be confused by it you'd really especially viscerally confused not just to mm -hmm. say that you were confused but to be shocked by it yeah and deeply um, uncomfortable to your core right yeah yeah what what does that mean about wh where i am in time for example indeed yeah um yeah i guess only just one more thing um about the moon here. Um, so this is, again, this was taken on Apollo 8 and the Apollo 8 mission, which did not land on the surface, I think. No, correct. Um, I, I know that, yeah. Um, <clears throat> in late 1968, uh, but we see the moon surface in the foreground with the Earth rising above it uh, in the background. Um, but from the Earth, relative to the Earth, the moon is tidally locked. And what that means is that if you take uh, the moon's rotation around the Earth, um, the amount of time it takes for the moon to rotate around the Earth once as its year, and the amount of time that the uh, moon takes to orbit around its own axis as its day, 
that the moon that the moon's uh, year is equivalent to the moon's day, which means that the same side of the moon is always facing the Earth. And so this the the logic I just went through works. Whenever you hear something um, being described as tidally locked relative to what it's orbiting around, that means that it's effectively its day length and its year length are the same, such that the um, object at the center, be it the sun if it's a planet or a planet if it's a moon, always sees the same side of the object that is orbiting it. And you know we have in English, and I presume, although I didn't look into it, presumably other cultures and other languages as well. This sort of this idea of the dark side of the moon, right? I was going to say, and you know, there is no literal dark side of the moon because all because when we are seeing a moon that looks dark to us, that is on a new moon, the other half is is light, and when we see a full moon, the other half is dark, but we are always seeing the same face. But there is a metaphorically dark side of the moon, right? That it is dark to us. The half of the moon that we never see from this planet is dark to us because it's outside of our purview. It's outside of our possible view, and so we cannot know it. And one of the things that landing on the moon does is potentially bring the metaphorically dark side of the moon into the light for us. It brings it into our awareness at this empirical level that we never could have had before. Um, Yep. I agree, and so does orbiting the moon and all of that stuff. This is true. The fact that um, the fact that there is no dark side, no literally dark side, but I, I think no I, permanently dark side. No is, literally dark side. I really feel like the you know no, no literally dark side, but that the the darkness also refers to unknown. Well, I I agree with your metaphorical point. I mean, yeah. there's always a dark side of the moon. It's just not always the same side, right? Mm-hmm. It's a but there's a metaphorically dark side that sometimes is literally lit by photons yeah. and sometimes literally not. There um, is a mysterious side of the moon. Yeah. There's an inherently mysterious side of the moon. To us, from our perspective as, as humans on the planet that it is orbiting. Yeah. Um, but the fact that there is arguably no dark side of the moon is evidence that if there is a god, he does not like Pink Floyd. Or if there's Pink Floyd, they don't like God. Those are not mutually exclusive. Mm, okay. Yeah. And? Well, just saying. Just saying. All right. All right. Uh, yeah, maybe that's that's enough. That's enough moon for now, perhaps. All right. Um, I believe the next segment is the one I had discussed. Is that right? Isopropyl. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here is uh, there are a couple there are a couple facets of this. At the end of this will come a challenge to our most obsessed and, I think, despicable critics. Um, uh, I do want to say that we are not inherently against critics. We like critics. In fact, you have asked for better skeptics. We have had better skeptics mm-hmm. uh, arrive on our doorstep, for which yep. we are very grateful. I also wanted to show, I don't know who generated this. Hey, Zach, do you want to put up that meme that uh, showed up this week? Or at least I saw it for the first time this week. Somebody, they landed a punch. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> Somebody I don't get it. has decided that I look like a schnauzer. And I don't think they're way off. I think they're, they've, <laughs> I think. They're so for those just listening at home. Yeah. This is new. This is new to me. Brett Schnaustein. Um, Schnauzstein, I don't even know how you pronounce it, with, uh, with you in uh, still from, I guess, our last, our last live or stream. Two, two live streams ago, maybe. Yeah. Uh, 
with a, with a schnauzer. With a schnauzer in front of me. And of you. I really don't. The facial I don't hair, see it. I think, is reminiscent in some ways. Okay. But all right. Nonetheless, I I thought it was I thought it was clever. Um, I don't know who generated it, and it could be one of our despicable critics, or it could be somebody else who just decided to come up with a meme. But anyway, I I, I got a chuckle out of it, so uh, you know, appreciate it. But we have some critics that I I don't really appreciate because they don't seem to be capable of anything other than tearing down value generated by others. And um, anyway, we'll we'll get back to them in a second. I had an experience uh, last night that resulted in an innovation. Okay. Okay. And the experience, as you know, you, you were very much there for the beginning of the story. Um, as we closed down, so we have an issue in our house where in order to make the pet thing work, where the dog is out and protects the cats from coyotes and the cats have a way to get back in the house quickly if something were to show up, we end up leaving doors open, which is bad because insects come in and, you know, we're biologists, we tolerate it better than most, but that's still annoying. And last night as we turned off lights around the house to go to bed so the house is growing increasingly dark that meant that the last light in the house attracted all of the five flies that had gotten into the house during the day right so they were in the bathroom Mm. Uh, and as you having brushed your teeth left you grumbled about the five flies that were quite annoying it's you know five flies is a lot for one small room um so anyway i walked in like, welcome welcome to the bathroom <laughs> brett i'm leaving now <laughs> yeah, exactly it's, it's you, you can have it you and the five flies so anyway i brushed my teeth and i noticed the flies too and uh was thinking what to do about them but i was i was left without good tools right and so at one point uh several flies landed on the large bathroom mirror on the wall and i thought i'll wait I know I need a cup and I need a piece of paper and I'll put the cup over the fly and I'll slide the piece of paper in behind it. And so I grabbed a glass. It was actually a duplicate of this here glass. And now you can imagine the predicament, which is that I've got a large plate glass mirror and I'm going to go take this other piece of glass and try not to break either one of them while I'm getting the fly. But I did it. Okay. I put the glass on the on the on the mirror and the fly was trapped and I slid the paper in there and I was feeling pretty good. And I took the glass and I walked over to the toilet and I thrust it down and I pulled the paper off so the fly flung right into the toilet water and sat there helplessly on the surface fluttering its wings and not succeeding and I thought this is going to be the thing we get grief of. <laughs> <laughs> just, just just smash the fly. And I thought, well, but no, smash the fly is I know, terrible. I, For one I, thing, you know, a, I don't, I don't it ain't either. that easy. I know. B, it's going to leave a big splattered fly there at best yep. on the mirror, yep. which is then going to need clean that cleaning. Up. It's, or, yeah. ah, it's not good. Fly and, guts. Right. And yep. you're more likely to get the fly. It's going to land on your wall, and then you're going to smash it, and then you're going to have this bloody stain there mm-hmm. until you paint over it. And so anyway, so I... Flung the fly down into the toilet. He landed in the water. I felt so good. And then a moment later, he flew out. <laughs> okay. And I thought, well. And now he's covered in toilet water. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so what was my next thought? My next thought oh my was, okay, that did not, that, you know, it's like a prototype of a plan, but it's not a good one. No, really so, not. Okay. Now I'm thinking, okay, well, you know. Uh, 
Great. So you've got five flies flying around, one of which is covered in toilet water. You don't right. know which one that is. Right. They're, covered, they're touching all sorts right. of stuff. But of course, now I'm thinking, oh, I'm thinking, I'm thinking like me. And I have been a fan of isopropyl alcohol since long before this COVID thing because isopropyl alcohol. Hey, Zach, you want to put up a diagram of the molecule of isopropyl alcohol? So isopropyl alcohol is marvelous, marvelous stuff. And here it is. And I'm actually much more impressed with the actual stuff than I am with this diagram. Well, me too, but I just wanted to point out this is what it looks like. It's and what, simple. What makes it an alcohol, you can see, for those of you just listening, you've got a molecule here with three carbons in a chain. Um, the two end carbons have their three free electrons that are not joining them to the other carbon uh, occupied by a hydrogen. And then the middle carbon has one hydrogen, and then it has an OH group, a oxygen and a hydrogen sticking off. And what makes something an alcohol is an OH group sticking off a carbon that has all of its electrons occupied in a covalent bond. Awesome description. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. So all that time in organic chemistry was not entirely wasted. <laughs> Much of it was, but not all of it. Yep. All right, so isopropyl alcohol, you can now go back to uh, to whatever, to us, to the Schnauzer and Dr. Heather Hying. Uh, <laughs> All right, so isopropyl alcohol is great stuff, and it's great for various reasons. One, I, and I had trouble ascertaining this. I had trouble finding the evidence for this in my uh, brief survey this morning, but I believe it's a molecule that is produced in nature um, with some regularity, which means that it's a molecule we are likely to have encountered for millions of years, therefore have a good uh, apparatus for uh, detoxifying it. Mm -hmm. Empirically speaking, it is certainly true that although it is somewhat toxic, it is very slightly toxic compared to all sorts of other things that you can use it as a substitute for. Um, um, ethanol would be better. Ethanol, we have a very direct history with detoxifying. Mm -hmm. It's better stuff. But isopropyl alcohol, you can't really get uh, ethyl alcohol um, in a pure form. It either comes in an expensive drink form, or mm -hmm. if you get it in a concentrated industrial form, it has a bitterant added to it to keep people from abusing it. Mm -hmm. So isopropyl alcohol, you can get it. It's cheap. Mm -hmm. Works for all kinds of things. If you don't want to spend, it's disinfecting. It's antiseptic. Yeah, it's, it's it clean. You can clean with it. It's a it, wonderful it solvent. The solvent it's exactly great for windows because it has a high vapor pressure, so it doesn't leave streaks. It evaporates very rapidly off the windows. You can get rid of at least small amounts of frost because it's an alcohol, so it it, uh, it changes lowers the, the freezing point of water, taking exactly. a frozen water and turning it back into a liquid water. Yep. So you can open a lock. You can do all kinds of good things with it. Mm -hmm. um, I learned something today. There's been a mystery for me about alcohols forever. The mystery is, I think they're nonpolar, right? And yet you can make a drink that's based of water. Why doesn't it separate like salad dressing? And there's a term for what mm -hmm. it does. It's not actually dissolving in water. It is, I've now forgotten the term. There's another term which I will come up with. All that time spent in organic chemistry was not as useful as you thought. Um, <laughs> no, it was or maybe, not. Maybe this, it maybe failed the, to maybe answer this question. This may not. This may be an inorganic chem issue, actually. But in any case, an alcohol, especially isopropyl alcohol, will also, because it's nonpolar, will dissolve grease. Right. Yes. So if you spray water or something water-based on a grease, it will have little effect. If you spray you can homogenize the film over a larger area. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. As everyone who has um, tried to clean up, you know, like the back of their 
behind their 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 stove uh, with water has experienced. Right. But soap works, but then you have to deal with the soap. But alcohol, isopropyl alcohol, uh, works brilliantly. It works brilliantly. And it can save you so much money, right? Mm-hmm. You, we used to have tons of this stuff uh, lying around. And when COVID hit and it suddenly became scarce, we were at the end of our supply and we were stuck with everybody else trying to find it. We got like wintergreen flavored isopropyl alcohol that had been sitting in the bottom of a warehouse for who knows how long. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, here's a tip. Uh, instead of spending more than you would spend for gasoline to buy uh, a gallon of windshield wiper fluid, get a thing of 70% isopropyl alcohol and add a bit of it into the water in your reservoir and it will both increase the use of the water and cleaning your windshield and vastly decrease the quantity you spend to make that stuff. And again, it it works as an antifreeze. Yes, exactly. It works as an antifreeze. It drops the uh, freezing point of water well below, if you put enough of it in, well below the meaningful one. So you can change it for summer and winter uh, as appropriate and save even more money in the summer. But anyway, I digress. Here I was Having lost to this fly, I came up with a good idea and it almost worked. And now I've got a toilet water covered fly, um, flying around. And I, because I'm now in the mindset of like, ooh, toilet water covered fly, I'm thinking isopropyl alcohol, which of course I have a spray bottle right there. Let's at least clean the fly. Let us, let us launder the fly. (laughs) Um, so anyway, I grabbed. No one can tell where that fly came from. Um, right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Take your fingerprints off it. So. I grabbed the isopropyl alcohol, and then I realized, wait a minute. So you've, we've got spray bottles of isopropyl in our bathrooms because it's a great cleanser. It's yeah. a great cleanser. If a cat were to, for example, hork on your carpet, <laughs> then you could saturate the carpet. Not our cats. No, but somebody if somebody yeah. else's cat was to break in, mm-hmm. hork up a bunch of grass on the carpet, right? Then you could saturate the carpet with the isopropyl alcohol, and then you take the steam cleaner, and you don't need the steam part of that. You just suck the stuff out of your carpet with the steam cleaner, and it pulls oh all the stuff, all the hork that may have seeped into the carpet right out. Anyway, it's great it's stuff. It's really unusual dark horse today. <laughs> it is a little unusual, but useful. This True. is going yeah, to is, is be crucial to my point. This is news you can use. You yep. need a steam cleaner, a whole bunch of isopropyl alcohol. But you are a master of the steam cleaner. And the isopropyl alcohol, as you are about. I'm I'm, now. I'm also master with the isopropyl. I'm going ninja level though on the isopropyl. Okay. Okay. So you got this toilet water covered fly, and you got a spray bottle disguised in a crowd of flies. In a crowd of flies, (laughs) right? You've got um, you've got a spray bottle, a high quality spray bottle full of isopropyl. No, it's it's, after midnight. It's our lowest quality spray bottle, but good enough. It's after midnight. It's you after midnight. I've, I've got a grudge now, right? <laughs> I've been bested by this fly once and it's not going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's the thing. Yeah. These flies now, I, my first thought was now you take the cup, you put it on the mirror, you get the fly, and then you spray isopropyl <laughs> alcohol in on the fly, right? And then you put them in the damn toilet <laughs> and see if you can fly out. the cup? Not for long. Okay. Good. Okay. So I go after it with the glass, which the glass. I again, I have the glass not, on glass. I have to not break the mirror. I have to not break the yeah, glass. Yeah, I noticed that the mirror was not broken this morning. It Good was job. not broken. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, but okay, now the fly. I don't know if this is my imagination or just bad luck, but now the fly seems skittish about the cup. I can't get anywhere near it. Right, my initial success. Do you think it's the same fly or not? You don't know. I think the flies now know they're being chased. 
that my activity with the flies has now put them. I actually. So, think, but I want to know what your long term plan. I mean, I I know you're getting there, but like seriously, now you're going to try to douse all the flies with isopropyl, and you can't tell them apart because it's not like you put leg bands on them or something. You can't tell the flies apart. How how long do you do this before you figure, like, if you're actually successful in what yeah. you're now talking about, how many times do you have to catch flies before you figure, okay, I've caught 87 flies and there's only five of them. What are the chances that it's only four of those five flies? Right, right, right. Like, how, do you, how do you do the analysis on this? I don't. I don't need it anymore okay. because I'm now ninja level, right? <laughs> okay. Now, I should point out I'm the second ninja level anti-fly guy in our family. Oh, my God. Toby is amazing. Toby is amazing. And Toby's trick is rubber bands, <laughs> which he <laughs> – and he can he can hit flies Across at a great a distance yeah. and he's very accurate. He, he Like if you say, hey, Toby, there are flies in this room, he'll get them. However – And he cleans them up. He cleans up the corpses. Mostly. The problem is if you have high ceilings, you end up with rubber bands and <laughs> fly guts distributed various well, places. Well, yeah, if there's high ceilings with like A fan ledges. or, yeah, yeah. Oh, any place it can stick. So That's right. Nonetheless, yeah, yeah. he is ninja level with respect to dealing with the flies. He's not ninja level with respect to leaving a, a clean battlefield, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Why chromosome types? Back to my predicament last mm-hmm. night. I'm now armed with the isopropyl. I'm armed with a glass. And it occurs to me, I have never thought to spray the flies directly. <laughs> with but, isopropyl? Yes. Okay. They never needed laundering before. Well, here's the thing. They just needed killing. One of them landed right before me. And I spritzed it. I didn't have to get that close. I had it on mist. Uh, in a second. Oh, God. So I sprayed <laughs> the I sprayed the fly. You, you took video. How did you take Not, video? I didn't. Okay. I, I did that this morning. I wanted to demonstrate this okay. so the audience would believe me. Okay. I okay. sprayed the fly on the mirror. I didn't need to get close enough. I didn't have to alert him that I was coming. I just misted him. Yeah. Fell to the counter right there. Grabbed him, threw him in the toilet. Next fly lands. <laughs> right? It took me about... Three minutes, four minutes to be done with all the flies. And now the mirror is clean as well. The mir- Exactly. You spray this in the mirror, you barely need to come back at it with anything because of the high vapor pressure. See the earlier part of the conversation. This reminds me a little bit of your innovation of man dusting. Yes. Oh, that's another good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like for sure you and I are right that like, in, on average, men don't really dust. No, they don't do like not. to. Di- they not, generate dust. Oh boy! And uh, and some people have particular responses to dust that you know. Right. Uh, many women have dust. an aesthetic reaction, like oh god, it's dusty. I don't want to look at that. Uh, but but you, for instance, have a reaction to inhaling it more than I do. Say, yep. but I have the aesthetic reaction, like oh, I just don't want to look at the dust. You can you can go months without noticing the dust and not seeing it. Um, but arm you with a leaf blower. A leaf blower. And here's the thing, kids. If you're going to do this inside your house, you need an electric leaf blower. I would recommend getting an electric. You haven't actually done this inside the house. Uh, only on special occasions. <laughs> but you have done it to, to uh, actually clear out the garage. The garage, the yeah. outbuilding, places yeah. where dust accumulates. Yeah, you know, there are certain surgical circumstances where there's something you can't reach in the house. But anyway, you don't do this in the house with a gas-powered blower. But you also right. don't really – electric leaf blower has one little disadvantage – it's slightly less powerful, but it has so many advantages. It's not loud when you're not using it. It doesn't idle, right? It's, it's a, great. It's a marvelous tool. It's actually a wonderful tool. tool, yeah. Yeah, and it's much, much quieter. So man dusting goes into the same category as um, 
God, it's not killing two flies with one stone. It's like accomplishing it's, two distinct. Uh, I don't have the it's right aphorism. Stoning two or more flies and then. Well, but you also end up with, with a clean mirror. That's my point. It's right. like you end up sort of inadvertently cleaning something right. uh, that you wouldn't have thought to do. No, but it's. I'm pretty sure they go out stoned. That's. That's what I saw. Yeah, my and when actually, you, when you told, yes. I mean, having having the flies die a gentle and perhaps even gleeful intoxicated death. Intoxicated. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Why not? Hey, Zach, you want to show this video yeah. so people can see what I'm talking about? I, it was hard to capture because I have the isopropyl in one hand and the video. See that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. The, the, the hand right. of uh, I don't know. The, I don't know if the fly thought you were God or Satan. But I, I was effectively God to that fly, mm -hmm. but. Um, and not a benevolent God. This was a Yahweh-style... Taking that fly to yeah. its permanent home and no, apparently the exactly. toilet. Is that where you were putting them? Yes. I see. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, that my I don't know if they recover. I didn't run that experiment. Ah, so you didn't so, want to just put them in the, in the trash, trash can and, and then have them open the cabinet at some point and have a crew of flies fly out. <laughs> <laughs> that would have made for a, a good story, but no, I didn't want that to happen. Yes. Okay. So can we get back to my critics and our critics? <laughs> Well, first of all, there's, like, there's, there's two tie-ins here. There's okay. two tie-ins. Um, Neither of us has begun drinking yet, right? Like, not it's even not, a little. Okay. Not I'm even just a little. Sure I mean, I have totally been sober. inhaling a certain amount of isopropyl alcohol since last night. But, Apparently, yes. <laughs> all right. Uh, remember earlier when we were in the Bahamas? Oh, I do. In April. Do you remember that beautiful beach where it was reported to us by our lovely hosts that there was a, a pair of... Um, tropic birds nesting that they had been on the beach and the tropic birds had made some attempt to, to get rid of them yeah well that beach was very beautiful and the idea of seeing tropic birds up close near their nest was so tantalizing that i really wanted to go to that beach and at some point i cobbled together the necessary materials including uh you know the tender boat and uh you and toby and we set off yeah. to go to that beach remember what happened next no Got to the beach, nice beach, went looking for the tropic birds and didn't find the tropic birds, but the biting flies oh, yeah. came after us, yeah. right? That's like our critics, right? They're like biting flies, right? They're of no consequence, but they're very, very annoying, mm -hmm. okay? Now- They don't vector anything. It's the, the actual biting flies. They're not the critics may vector things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the biting flies, as far as we know, you know, there are biting flies, of course, in the world that do vector things like tsetse flies and such. But the biting flies on the Bahamian beaches, as far as you know, don't vector anything, but they take a chunk out of you and they, they take leave a, a chunk welt out of you. and they, it's, it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant. It's enough to uh, destroy. But you don't end up with, a, I mean, you could, I guess, get an infection that festers, et cetera, but you're not going to get a disease from this, but it's really unpleasant. Yes, they're, they're an ankle biting annoyance. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, that is how I feel about not all of our critics right some of our critics i appreciate but the critics who just basically that's what they do mm. where their whole purpose is to tear down stuff that other people do without actually contributing anything to the world yeah and so my point about the isopropyl alcohol is that that yes it's funny but tremendously useful if you've ever been plagued by flies that you couldn't get out of a room you now you know, for the price, and I would recommend you get the high quality Zep, uh, the uh, Zep uh, spray bottle. Not a bottle. sponsor. Not a sponsor <laughs> yet. They may be when they see this. You want the high quality Zep, the yellow and blue bottle. Mm -hmm. You want 70% isopropyl alcohol. You'll find lots of other uses for it. But now you can eliminate any fly that lands near enough for you to get to it, right? That's tremendously useful. And what I want to know is if any 
of the people who have become obsessed with us have ever come up with anything that useful. Mm -hmm. And I want to hear what it is. I want to know if they have contributed anything to humanity as useful as isopropyl alcohol versus a fly okay <laughs> and i don't think i don't think probably some total if you took their contributions to humanity the sum total of them could come up with anything that useful i sus i suspect you're right and i uh i welcome the challenge being leashed on the world yeah all right hell yeah <laughs> all right and i don't know some small amount of guilt about the flies but they had to go uh, yeah yeah they they did they had to go. They they weren't invited. We weren't going to go after them outside, were we? Right. The flies. I, mean, I could steel man their position. And, the flies? You know, yeah. I mean, we did open the door. How were they to know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How were they to know? Indeed? How were they to know? But they had, I mean, you know, they had to go. They did have to go. Yeah. Steel man the position <laughs> of the flies that came to the house. Okay. All right. That's where we Isopropyl are. Isopropyl alcohol may be more toxic than I realize, but it's fun. <laughs> Someone in the chat has uh, contributed that it is very possible to get drunk by him. <laughs> really? Yeah. Is it possible well, I, to be drunk this many hours later? I yeah, and I've and I and I had none of it. I was not exposed, although I you know, I probably went to the bathroom in the middle of the night at some point, so um, <laughs> you left it really fumey in there. Could I don't be. know. Okay, I think I think we're good. All right, I think we're done. Um, this has been <laughs> this has been a different episode of Dark Horse, and I, yes, it I, has. I I've had fun. Um, this was this is Line Stream one thirty four. We'll be back next time. No, next week, same time. Here comes the dog who apparently needs her little cretinized tips clipped off of herself. Hello, friend. Um, We're going to take a 15-minute break uh, and be back with our live Q&A. Uh, you can ask questions for the live Q&A at darkhorsesubmissions.com. You can email any logistical questions that you've got about things going on to darkhorsemoderator at gmail.com. Consider joining our Patreons. We're right now at mine. You can answer. You can ask questions uh, that we'll that we'll try to get to in our live Q and A on the last Sunday of the month. We've got a snorty, sneezy dog rolling around behind us, but she has not had access to any isopropyl, so no worries. <laughs> <laughs> no worries there. We're in good hands with our Labrador. Uh, and without further ado. Be good to the ones you love, eat good food, and get outside. And kill flies. <laughs>